can she get it out? Good morning, everyone. You are looking wonderful, and let me tell you, I just had cataract surgery, and I can actually see you now. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, well, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Petey asked me to talk about DRAW because I worked for DRAW for eight years, and it's an organization that I love and is near and dear to my heart. So I, was, um, I have coffee at the coffee bucket, which is in the same center where DRAW has their warehouse in Waterford. On Wednesday, I walked in, and Greg was there. Greg Martin is the founder of DRAW. He founded this, he, and he's a former youth pastor, but it was, his uh, disaster relief w- was laid on his heart by God, and he answered the call and created DRAW, which stands for Disaster Relief at Work. So Wednesday, I walk in, and there's Greg. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he goes, did you see the truck? We're loading the trailer right now. So the flooding in St. Louis happened on Tuesday, and it started raining Tuesday morning, and in a few hours, St. Louis had as much rain in those few hours as they normally have for the whole month of July. So on Wednesday morning, Greg was the, the draw, responded immediately, and drove eight and a half hours and took four pallets of cleaning buckets, and Oakwood has been a supporter of draw for a long time, and we've had several supply drives to help them fill their buckets. And um, some of you have even been to the warehouse and made buckets. Thank you very much. But buckets are what draw is created around. And cleaning buckets is the most popular one because it can be used for almost any disaster. And there are 17 different items in a cleaning bucket. And for a flood, they're especially helpful because you need different types of garbage bags, different type of cleaning supplies, cleaners, gloves. But I think the most important item are the masks because you don't want to smell what's been in a house that's been flooded. And the clothesline and clothespins. To create these buckets, there's about a $60 worth of supplies. Well, I haven't worked with them since COVID, so I'm sure with prices of inflation, it's more than $60 a bucket. But if you take um, four pallets, that's 144 buckets times 60. You're looking at $8,640. And draw doesn't just go once. What they do is they target the low-income areas, and they target with a church. They go down, and in this case, because St. Louis was close enough, they drop the buckets off right away, and then they come back when the waters recede. Then they take a team to actually help muck out the house, clean out the yard, cut the drywall out, all that kind of thing. But in the meantime, then on Thursday, you have the flooding in Kentucky. So draw is stretched very thin. Um, There were buckets in the warehouse. They didn't take everything to St. Louis, but they scrambled all weekend to get supplies and make more buckets to be able to take to Kentucky this week. And Kentucky will be a much longer commitment. It'll probably be at least four months that they will be taking supplies and people to help because of the scope of this. So if this is a ministry that, that you is laid on your heart, I, I wish that you would take your phone, scan this, and make a donation to draw right now. When I talked to Greg on Friday and told him that uh, Oakwood was going to do this, I said, is there anything special you want me to tell the people of Oakwood? And he said, thank you. 
I love that that's his first response. Thank you, Oakwood, for supporting this wonderful ministry. And now for the second wonderful organization that I actually was honored to uh, be able to work for from 72 to 77. Yes, I am old. Uh, um, how many of you are familiar with the Billy Graham organization? Well, how many of you under 40 are familiar with the Billy Graham organization? This is a wonderful organization that truly loves God and puts God first. And I miss Dr. Graham, Billy Graham, who died in 2018. But Franklin has done his son, has done a wonderful job in uh, taking up this ministry and moving it forward. And Franklin's son, Will, is coming along behind him. So we have generations of men dedicated to God's work. And Franklin is bringing, he's coming to our area with his God Loves You tour. And I'm so excited about this because we all need more to hear and receive more of God's love. We have, our love tanks have been depleted recently. If you watch the news, you get depleted every day. People's hearts are broken. We've had unspeakable tragedies amongst us. And the timing is perfect for God to move in our area. And the God Loves You Tour, the timing is wonderful. There are two dates I want you to make note of. The first one is August 25th. This is a Thursday. And it's 6.30 at Centerpoint Church in Flint. We will be taking a bus up. And the purpose of this uh, pre-event, really, is to praise God and to pray for the upcoming event in September. And if you are able, we're going to take a bus. Please sign up and come. I guarantee your love tank will be filled. It will be a wonderful experience and you will walk away praising God. And I truly believe in the power of prayer. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, 19 to 20, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And this is a night where you can truly feel God's love. Now, the second date that you need to make note of is September 29th. And this will be the main event where Franklin, where there'll be a night of music, and Franklin Graham will give his God Loves You message. And it will be a life changing event, guaranteed. So I hope that you all will come. Again, we will have the bus available. But if you read Petey's email on Friday, and I know you all did. He gave you a heads up of an opportunity for us to serve as a church. Just like the old days when our SOS group was active, where we could serve our Savior. PD would like us to sign up to volunteer for the setup uh, committee. And now that I've, I'm talking and talking, there is a little intro video that I should have paused for. So let's watch the video now. In a world that's often filled with pain, it's time for a message of hope. I want you to know tonight that God loves you. Yes, he does. 
All right, technical div- difficulties, we're all used to that. It's a good thing that I got talkative and just talked right when I should have thrown the, shown the video. Okay, the setup team. Now, the main event where Dr. Graham will be talking is Thursday, September 29th. But there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes to get ready for an event of this scale. And one of the things is to set up. This event is going to be held at Crossroads Village in Flint. It is outdoors. So we need uh, to have a team of people to go set up the tents and set up chairs in advance of this event. So what we would like to do is commit to take 25 to 30 people who are physically able and excited about setting up tents and setting up chairs for this event to commit It will be that Thursday morning, the 29th, from 9.30 in the morning till about 12.30. And we'll run it like our old SOS. We'll have water for you. We'll have our famous little snack bags to keep your energy up. And it will be a wonderful time where we can serve together. I'm reminded of our very first event where we all went to Banbury Cross. It was so exciting to look out over the fields and see all of our fellow people our brothers and sisters in Christ working in those fields, painting, raking. It was just, it was a great time. And this is an opportunity for us to have another wonderful memory together. Now for the kicker. A few weeks ago, Pastor Ben was looking for volunteers, and he said that there's a lot of thing Oakwood, things that Oakwood people are really great at. One thing we're not good at is signing up in advance. Well, I'm going to ask you to sign up in advance. I want you to pray about this and think about this. If this is an event that you want to to join the setup committee, and you have about 45 minutes to do that. We need you to sign up today because the, the Graham organization is a huge organization. They have their protocols. They cannot block out this event for us. We have to physically give them names and email addresses of a minimum of 20 people who will commit to do this, and we have to do that tomorrow. So if you remotely think you are interested in do this, please sign up out at the kiosk in the lobby right after the service. You can put down, I am 100% in, this is, I will make the time, I will be there. Or if it's something you want to do, but you're not sure of your schedule, Go ahead and put your name and email down and say, I am 50%. I really want to do this, but I'm not sure. Whatever that percentage is, please come. I need at least 20, 30 would be better, people to step up today and commit to helping make the way for God to move in our area and show God's love to our fellow people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Oh, I just can't help but to say, isn't she great? She's, she's quite something. I knew she worked for Billy Graham for, for years, and so when I got involved and started saying, we need to do this as a church, I thought, man, Kathy knows them and she knows us. There's no better. And so I called her up, and as soon as she answered, I was like, hey, this is Pastor John. She goes, oh, I've been dreading this call for a long time. She knew exactly what I was doing. And I said, yeah, I need you to do this. And so I'm so thankful that Kathy's stepping up. Uh, Can I encourage you? Gospel urgency. Our world needs Jesus, the message of Jesus and his love. Can I, 
I'll, I'll press it a little further. If there's anything that's worth changing your schedule over, it would be on the 29th of September. Take the morning off. I, I'm, I'm pressing you as a pastor. Is there something more important than this? This is something that's worth you blocking out your day and saying, I will go. I will help set up. I will come back that evening. I will be in prayer. I'll be bringing my neighbors, my family. This is important. Let's just use the word I've been using. This is urgent that we give the gospel. So I'm challenging you. Can I, can I take it one step further? Because I know, I know church, and I know church people. As long as we do our thing and we let you go, the pressure's off, right? Amen? How many of you have ever sat in church saying, if I can just get out of here, I might be able to forget about what the Holy Spirit's pressing up on my heart. So I'm not going to let you have that escape today. Can I ask right now, do we have 25 people that would say, PD, I'm going to sign that thing? Would you raise your hand right now? Hey, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We could use more. And if you possibly think you can do it, please get your name on there. I'll drive the bus. We need able-bodied people, so all I can do is drive the bus. Okay, I've, uh, my back is in really bad shape, and I don't think I can be doing most of the other things. But I'll drive you there and drive you back on that day. So thankful. Well, I'm thankful that Pastor Ben took the pulpit for the last two weeks. Did you enjoy Pastor Ben? Isn't he great? Appreciate Pastor Ben. Appreciate his love of the gospel and ability to preach the word. We are transitioning back now after the Elephant in the Room series. Uh, We're transitioning back to our Romans series. I hope you notice the pillars are back. Uh, The guys who keep putting them up and taking them down, they're like, PD, they're getting beat up. I'm like, well, the Roman pillars are ruins, right? So let's look at them now as the ruins of the old Roman cities, right? Uh, So don't worry about if they're falling apart or anything. That's what they're supposed to look like. Uh, And we're going to continue on verse by verse it was fun. It was great to do the Elephant in the Room series, to do a topical thing, but we are an expositional church. I'm an expositional preacher. That means I like to preach the word verse by verse, explain it, and then give you something to apply it, and we're going to get back into it. So I hope you're ready. Let's pray you in if you're not ready. Let's do that right now. Would you pray with me? Would you pray this prayer? Just silently, would you say, God, I know there's something you want me to hear, so I'm willing to listen. Can you just give God that prayer in your heart? God, I know there's something you want me to hear, so I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified, and may Satan be horrified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got to probably do some reminding, right? Where have we been? What's going on with Romans? Oh, oh, go ahead and do that. They really want to run the bumper. It's a good bumper video.
Thank you for running. I wasn't sure if the videos were shot after we froze on the one. So I guess I probably should warn you too, if that's working, that means maybe everything else is as well. We're trying to introduce a new system for parents. If you dropped your children off in our child care or Sunshine Park, uh, on the screens to the right and left, the side screens, uh, there'll be a little scrolling thing every once in a while and it gives the number. Uh, If you see that, uh, I want to make sure everybody here knows that doesn't mean your kid was bad. We don't want the walk of shame, right? So when a parent sees their number, it might just mean that we, we need to tell them something or it might need to help something. Uh, but we're, when the number comes up, we ask that you just go and you'll be met at the door, I think, and somebody will uh, take you to where you're needed. But uh, just letting you know, that's our new system. I don't know if it'll... Ha- oh, there it is. What did it say? Hello. How about that? How many of you saw it while I was talking? Did it catch your eye? Okay, good. Good, good. We're wondering. We don't know for sure if it's going to work. If, uh, my plan is, is if we do this and we're running a number over and over again and nobody gets up and leaves, that means you're not seeing it. And so we're, we're trying to do something on the main screen, uh, but your pastor is an old dinosaur and I use PowerPoint and it messes up the whole system. So uh, we're, we'll try our hardest to make it work and we'll see if it does. Back to Romans. Let's remind you where we've been. The outline of Romans is pretty simple where we've been so far. Romans 1, 1 through 17 was the salutation. It's a letter. Remember, the book of Romans was written to the Christians in this area. And so there's a a greetings, right? A salutation. We talked about that for a while. And then, boy, have we been steeped in the mire of sin, right? We've been covering sin for a long time because Paul just went on and on and on. I think after the first sermon, most of you are like, okay, we get it. We're sinners, right? But Paul went on and on and on saying, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? He goes on and on and on and on and on and talk about a lawyer just making his case. Didn't you at some point say, we get it, Paul. All have sinned. Say that with me. All have sin. I got good news. We finished that part. (laughs) And we're moving on to salvation. And we start today to start giving the positive after Paul has just been nailing down the negative that there's a sin problem and judgment's coming. God is a God of wrath and has to judge sin. In order for God to be righteous and just, sin must be dealt with. He is not a just God if he just blows off sin. He is a just God, and so sin must be dealt with. And that's why Paul made it very clear to the Jewish people, hey, listen, just because you're Jewish and you were given the law, that doesn't give you any excuse to the world who who doesn't believe there is a God. That doesn't give you any excuse. That's what that whole first section of Romans 1 through 3 was all about. All have sinned. All are without an excuse. But now, and I use that word carefully because that's the whole theme of today, but now we move to something positive. You notice the gap there, right? It's not just that I did a bad job on PowerPoint. What gets us from sin to salvation? You see it on the screen? Do you see that gap there? Raise your hand tell me. I'm seeing that screen, PD. What's going to get us from sin to salvation. That's what we're going to talk about. But before I can jump in today, I really want to go back over the words because words have meanings. Some of the important words in, in Romans, gospel. The word gospel is the word for good news. Simply means good news. And that's why I'm so thankful Paul now is heading toward the good news. It's been all negative. 
Now he's going to go positive. It's the way of salvation. That's why we're gospel urgent. We want the world to know the way of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation means you're rescued from God's wrath and judgment, secured eternally. Salvation. We talk about being saved. We mean that you know that God has saved you and that you will not face his wrath. We will stand before a holy God someday. Who's paying for the sin? Sin must be dealt with. So salvation. The word righteousness. Every time we use the word righteousness, don't think of man at all. Only think of God, because God alone is righteous and holy. Righteousness is God's perfection, God's justice. That'll be important today. Remember that. That's the definition of righteousness, is God's perfection. Imputed. That's a great word we don't use very much. It means treated as if it were yours. Imputed. Several weeks ago, I couldn't go because of my back. It was an eight-hour, eight-and-a-half-hour drive out to the East Coast. My daughter, Caitlin, moved to Baltimore. She's going to Johns Hopkins to get her master's. And so my wife, my father-in-law, my son, and uh, others made the journey out with a trailer to unload Caitlin for a year out there. And uh, I didn't go, but I got word as they were moving her in. It's in the city. She's living in a, a place in the city. And my wife would call and give updates, and, and we did a lot of inner city ministry. My wife actually said, I miss this. I miss being on the streets and talking to people. And, and, and then she called and said, Caitlin got a ticket. She's new to the city, and she, you know, we're, we're trying to park and unload and all that. In the meantime, somehow, Caitlin had parked, not only parked in an illegal spot, she parked at a bus stop. Baltimore doesn't like that. That ticket was $250. Plus seven ninety five fee if you play with a card. How do I know this? Because my wife let me know her ticket was imputed to me. You understand, right? She called and said, I took the ticket off the window, didn't even let Caitlin know. We just want to take care of it, pay the ticket for her. I'm like, I wasn't there. She goes, I don't care. You are now a lawbreaker in Baltimore. Never been there, but I'm a lawbreaker in Baltimore. I went online. Paid the bill for her, which leads us to some other words we'll get to in a second. Imputed, you get it, right? Imputed. Treated as if it were yours. Faith is trusting in the application of the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Once again, righteousness, God's only. You and I must be declared righteous in order to get into heaven someday. That has to happen. You cannot get into heaven unless you've been declared righteous. And we know Let's not go back over the last four messages of sin. We know we're not righteous. Amen? Paul made it clear. All have sinned. All are without excuse. How in the world are we going to be declared righteous? Only if the righteousness of God is imputed to you on behalf of Jesus. Are you catching it? Are you getting it? That's faith. That's faith. So new words today. Atonement. Atonement. Everybody say atonement. Atonement is kind of a, uh, probably the best English word is reconciliation. Something being made right. It also has an implication, but not totally. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but reparations. We hear that word all the time now. And yet in salvation, there is a, there is a part of it that is reparation. Something must be paid for. Paid for. So, 
Caitlin's ticket was imputed unto me. When I gave the money for it, I atoned for the sin of parking in a bus stop. I atoned for it. In a way, I've been reconciled with Baltimore. And I made reparations. A little extreme, but I did. Propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. Propitiation is a big word. We don't use that very much either. But it means God's wrath turned to mercy. God's disposition actually changed by Jesus' sacrifice. This is important in today's message when we move from sin to salvation. All these things need to happen for us on our behalf. And that leads us to justification. Everybody say justification. Justification is being declared righteous by God's grace through faith in the redemptive work of Jesus. Justification is your salvation. Have you been justified by faith through Jesus? It's a gift, nothing you earn. That's what Paul's going to start hammering home right now. Justification. What do I have real quickly? I'm not preaching it, but I could have preached it. It would have been a great message, Ron, but I don't have time. But here it is for you today. Justification through faith means I have a new footing. Amen? I'm not on slippery ground anymore. If I went to be with God today and I stood before him and I didn't know any of this, I would have no footing. I had no place to stand. And yet I need to be able to stand before a holy God. How can I have a footing and stand before a holy God? That reminds me of vacation. I don't know about you, but I wore my sandals all week long when I didn't just go barefoot. And you know those black plastic sandals that people wear? You know what happens when they get wet and you try to get a footing? Have any of you done that where the sandal kind of flips up and goes up your leg? It just slips. It slips out from underneath your foot. It's no good at all, right? I have no footing when that happens. We have been given a new footing If you've been justified by God's grace through the faith in Jesus Christ, then you've got a new footing so you can stand before a holy God someday. Not only that, uh, I have a new family. The moment I receive salvation and God justifies me, he declares like a judge, hits the hammer down and says, I declare you righteous. I've got new footing and I've got a new family, a welcoming place among God's people. And then I, I have a new future. The transformational living by God's grace, looking toward eternity, that's all for me. Is it all for you? Have you been justified by God? Can you say today that you will stand before God someday with a new footing, with confidence, because you put your faith in Jesus? Remember, my illustration is that I'm going to stand there someday. And God's the only judge. And he's going to look at Don Jackson and say, Don Jackson. I, and that's a scary moment when the judge calls your name and you must stand before the judge. But you know what I've told you over and over and over again, hundreds of times. On that day when God says, Don Jackson, I have no footing on my own to stand before him. I'm a sinner. But when he asked me who's paying for this sin, I know exactly my answer. God, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, he takes his eyes off of Don Jackson's sinfulness and he looks squarely into the eyes of Jesus. And he looks at his son, who was perfect and pure, and he looks at Jesus and says, Don Jackson, you are perfect. Not because I'm perfect, I'm not. But because he's going to look at Jesus. And it's on Jesus that all of my sins have been laid and taken care of and, and it's been atoned. He was the propitiation for my sins and I've been justified, declared 
righteous. Beautiful thing. So let's get into today's message. All right. Romans 3. Turn there. Romans 3. We're going to backtrack a little bit to 19 just to make sure we're, we're making sense of that. Let me read the context, and we're going to talk about this salvation by grace through faith. Romans 3. Follow along with me. I'll read starting in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, everybody say that with me. But now, now that you're ready, say it with me. Ready? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the one who justifies, as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of Scripture. Let's walk it through verse by verse. 19. What is 19? It's a reminder of the dark, dank, desperate picture Paul has painted. Amen? We know sin is the problem. You're born with the sin problem and it has to be dealt with. And he paints a dark picture. He reminds us of the negative and then there's that great little phrase there, every mouth be silenced. I didn't know this, but this is the Jewish custom thing. Have you ever, I think I've seen it on TV before when a Jewish person is talking and they're defending themselves. At some point, after they're done defending themselves, there's lots of arm waving, right? And when they're done, they're like, you know, hmm. have you ever seen somebody do that? Think about it. You might remember seeing somebody just put their hand over their mouth. And what they're saying, the Jewish custom is, I'm done talking about it. That's all I have to say. Shut my mouth. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 19. Every mouth may be silenced because the whole world's accountable to God. We have nothing else to say in our defense, friends. Trust me, if you, if you want to play this game with God, like, God, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. He's really bad. If you're going to play that game, hey, listen, shut my mouth. Shut your mouth. (laughs) There is no defense. And that's what Paul reminds us of. And then we go to 2, verse 2. Therefore. Everybody say therefore. In Latin, that's ergo. Ergo. We're going to talk about ergo today. Therefore. It's a great word. Doesn't help us much to get to salvation. It's not going to get us from that gap to sin and salvation. But he makes the point, therefore. What is he saying, therefore? He's saying we're hopeless and helpless, and we know it. Therefore, then he goes on to talk about no one is righteous in God's sight. There is no righteousness on humanity at all. It's either God's righteousness or unrighteousness. We must be given God's righteousness. So then we move to verse 21. I want to... 
put this up on the screen real quick because this is the key word today. In verse 21, the first two verses could be potentially the most important words in all of Scripture. Many people have stated that these two words at this point in the book of Romans is vital, essential. And I want you to remember these words, but now. I don't know for sure, but at the beginning of verse 21, when Paul says, but now, he's definitely making a transition from one thought to another thought. It's not a therefore. Therefore is just an ergo this. But now we've moved to, but now. I don't know if the author of Amazing Grace was thinking about these two words in this exact verse when he wrote, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I wonder if he was thinking of those exact words in this exact verse. But now is important. But now is the only thing that's going to get us from sin to salvation. That gap, there's no way to get there but now. What, what possibly happened that Paul could be referring to? It wasn't too long before he wrote these words that Jesus came. And he died on a cross. And he rose again three days later. So Paul could say, all that sinfulness, all that desperation and hopelessness, no way to get you to God but now. I love it. Paul is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the great, but now things have changed. I love it. I want to read this in the NEV for a while. We're going to move to verse 21 in Romans 3, and we're going to be in the New English version because they they did some really good things here. It says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, although it is attested by the law and prophets, has been disclosed. Verse 21 is the positive, encouraging hope that God made a way, God's plan reveals and provides His righteousness through Jesus. And it's been His plan for eternity. Please don't let anybody convince you that God is figuring it out as He goes. He had this law plan, and that didn't work out, so He switched to the Jesus plan. I want to make sure you understand, but now was coming for all eternity before. In Genesis chapter 3, we hear about the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Already, at the beginning of the explanation that sin entered the world, God is saying, I have a plan. I have a plan. It's going to be Jesus. Not only in Genesis, but all the ceremonial laws, all the sacrifices of animals and the blood, that was all pointing to Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was about the law that God gave Moses and the people, but they had to continually make sacrifices. Blood had to be spent, had to be poured out. Constantly they had to make sacrifices, but once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And the Ark of the Covenant was there, and he would take the blood of a bull and sprinkle it all around, but especially... In the, the top middle portion of the Ark of the Covenant where the two cherubim meet, that's called the mercy seat. And this high priest would go in, you remember, with a rope tied around his ankle because if he was not pure, he would be struck dead. Again, who's going to stand in the presence of God? How are you going to stand someday? Is your footing sure? If the high priest's footing wasn't sure and he walked into that room with sin, he would be struck dead. 
And then they, they had bells sewn around the edge of his, his clothing so they could hear him tinkle, tinkle, tinkle all the way, right? Remember? And, and he, they could hear him doing his job and he was taking the blood of the bull and spreading it and then covering the mercy seat. All of that was done over and over again. Every year that had to be done. It was never meant to save anyone. God's plan for salvation was only Jesus and always from the beginning. Everything pointed toward Jesus. Psalm 22 in the Old Testament. See, the Bible says the prophets uh, all talk about this. Uh, It says the law and the prophets point to Jesus. Psalm 22 is all about Jesus' death. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, they're all about Jesus. God was telling the world, I have a plan for you. All this sin was happening. And we're going to get to that in just a second. What happened to all the sin? Well, God was content to have it covered through those temporary sacrifices, but it was never dealt with. All those Old Testament characters sinned and their sin was never dealt with, not until Jesus came. And Paul starts talking about that. Verse 22, namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. The reason why I like the NEV, because it says it a little different than the NIV, most translations say, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that's true, but it's kind of repetitive. Faith in Jesus to all who believe are the same act. The right translation, I believe, is found here in the NEV. It's about the faithfulness of Jesus is what saves us. The fact that Jesus was faithful He did not sin, and he went to that cross. Remember, even before the cross, if there's any other way, he said, God, if there's any other way, but there was no other way. It was God's plan from eternity. So Jesus was faithful. Faithful without sin, faithful to go to the cross, and it's because of Jesus' faithfulness and his righteousness, if you apply it with your faith and belief, that's what gets you saved. That's what saves anyone. And so you can either look, I think both are true. The NIV is true. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe or the faithfulness of Jesus to all who believe. Both are wonderful, amen? It's the faithfulness of Jesus. Please never think it's about you. Don't think it's about the quality or the quantity of your faith. Don't play the game. It's all, it's all legalism and it's all man-centric. Our faith saves us. It's got to be our faith. And boy, it better be some big faith. I don't know. I've read the Bible and every time it talks about our faith, it has to compare it to things like a seed of a mustard seed, right? (laughs) Right? And we think, oh man, my faith better be perfect. My My faith better be big. The bigger my faith, the more saved I am. No, you're so wrong. Got it. That's what you drink coffee for, people. You're so wrong if you think that it has to do with your quality of belief or faith. What we're trusting in is the faithfulness of Jesus. It's what he did on the cross. And if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him, you will be saved, the Bible says. It's about Jesus. And so then we go further. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Hey, Paul can't help himself. He got to keep on reminding us. All right? But... 
it goes on to say, but they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned. He's just reminding us, not miss the target aimed at the opposite of God's righteousness. Remember the illustration? I've given you the illustration of sin. It's actually a term, sain, and it means to miss the mark. And I think maybe I've given you the wrong impression over the years that, that says, well, we were really trying hard to hit God's target and we just missed it by a little bit. That is not the illustration of sin at all. Uh, if, that's the, if that's the thought you got when I used the illustration of missing the mark, I, I've led you astray. Because what the Bible says and what Paul spent a lot of time explaining is mankind didn't try really hard to hit God's mark and we just, quite, we just missed. No, no. What he's saying is God had a target of complete righteousness and we're aiming over here. That's what Romans 1, 18 and following is all about. Mankind said, forget you, God. I'm aiming over this way. I'm not even looking at you. I don't even consider you. I'm not even thinking about hitting the mark. That's what mankind did. And so we find out that sin is our problem that has to be dealt with. And he starts moving into that in verse 24. But they're justified freely. How? By his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, in this verse, Paul doesn't talk about anything you did. It's not about trying hard. It's not about sinning less. It's not about mustering up some monstrous faith. It's about God giving you grace and mercy through the wonderful faithfulness of Jesus Christ, period. I tell you what, if you can grasp onto this today, it should take a huge load off your shoulders. No, I'm not good enough. No, my faith is not wonderful. Nothing, nothing in me can get me there. I trust Jesus. He's good enough. He did it all for me. I'm just trusting him. And God's going to do the rest. How did this all work? Verse 25, God publicly displayed him at his death as the mercy seat accessible through faith. What did the, uh, the NIV say there? He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time as to be the just and the justifier. This is the atonement. Some versions say atonement. I like the word mercy seat here because what God did with Jesus on the cross was he publicly displayed him as the once for all sacrifice. Not the yearly sacrifice, not the weekly sacrifice, not the covering sacrifice to cover it for a little bit, but the one that imputed, Jesus imputed all of his righteousness to me because all of my sin was imputed upon him. That's a beautiful thing. The mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant had the, the, the tablets with the law in it and there was like a rod of Aaron with a butt on it and there's cool stuff in there. But the important thing was the mercy seat. And the Bible declares that when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed, that blood covered it all and it covered the mercy seat. And you know what Jesus did? He became the propitiation. And that's huge. That means... God's wrath is turned to mercy. That's a hard one to grasp because I think a lot of us think God forgave me, but he's still mad at me. <laughs> I think a lot of us live in that anxiety. Of that God, okay, God, he's going to let me squeak into heaven, but he's not happy. Ever get in trouble with mom or dad? Anybody? Anybody ever get in trouble with the principal? Come on, nah, no, some of y'all did. 
my wife reminds me that when people come see me in my office, I don't think this, I'm just me. And I, you know, I, I kind of live every day just thinking, I'm just me. I don't really think anything. But she said, you know, people are intimidated when they come into your office. That's why I put a candy bowl there. If you come to see me, I promise I'll give you candy. But people come in and I guess they're nervous. I don't know why. I'm just me. But she says, it feels like they're going into the principal's office. I don't want it to feel like that. I really don't. But, but, but if you've ever been in trouble with the principal, if you've ever been in trouble with mom and dad, isn't the worst part, and, and, and I grew up when we actually got spanked. Man, the spanking really wasn't that bad. It, it, it was over fairly quickly. It's that terrible feeling of, you know what I mean? The guilt and it's that shame and it's that agony of like, are they mad at me? Am I okay with mom and dad? I mean, that's an awful feeling. And I think we as Christians live in that weird world that God's angry at me all the time. And we don't understand. We don't understand that propitiation word. It's radical. By faith, when you receive Jesus' gift, God changes his disposition towards you. I'm I'm cheating and looking ahead to Romans 8, but there is now no condemnation. He's not mad at you anymore. His anger is never going to be displayed. can Can you imagine how beautiful this is? I am a sinner, hopeless and helpless, but now, everybody say but now. Jesus, he took care of it all. I put my faith in him and God changes his whole disposition toward me. He loves me as his child. I want you to leave today with that overwhelming thought. I, as I write messages, songs keep, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. I'm telling you, some of these old hymns, the way they wrote, that's beautiful. A sinner condemned unclean, but then he sings, how marvelous How wonderful, and my song will ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Do you know the song? Where's my old timers? Can you be with me? He took my sin and my sorrows. He made them his very own imputed righteousness right there. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered and died for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. See, this this writer understood he's not perfect. He's, He's in trouble. But now, he paints a realistic picture of who he is, but then he tells us what happened at the cross. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see, it will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Come on now. 
How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That's why Franklin Graham's going to take the stage in Flint, and he's going to let a lost and dying world know he loves you. God loves you. You are a sinner. But now, you can be saved through Jesus Christ. Nothing on your own. Which leads me to wrap it up. Let's, let's finish it today. Oh, The only way of salvation. When I look at this passage, I come up with five quick points. Number one, God has provided and revealed His righteousness. That's important, friends. God has to provide His righteousness. I can't stand before Him and claim to be righteous. He has to give me His righteousness. So God not only provides His righteousness through Jesus, He revealed it through the cross. That's number one. The second thing I see through these is God's righteousness becomes ours solely and entirely through faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Believe and be saved. Some of you maybe have never sealed the deal and you're still sitting here wondering, I'm coming to church, I'm close, I'll keep working at it, I'll try, I'll try more, I'll give more money, I'll do, and you're, you're just missing it completely. If you have no standing before a holy God today, that can be fixed right here, right now. Draw the line in the sand and say, I'm in. And put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And you know what God does? He forgives you. He changes his disposition towards you. You're no longer under his wrath. You're his, you're his, his, his pride and joy. The Bible says to the Christians, you're his work of art. His handiwork. He loves you. God loves you. And you live now in his love, not in his wrath. Put your faith in Christ today. It's the only way you'll be saved. Three, God's righteousness is open to all. Yes, Paul, we get it. What does all mean? All means all. That's all all mean. For all have sinned. Amen. That's true. But all are freely offered salvation. That's also true. He's moved from the negative to the positive. Number four, God's righteousness is by God's grace. Faith is essential, but you need to understand it's a gift from God. It's nothing you could do. It's not of works, the Bible says, lest any man should boast. If there's a way I can figure out to trick God into letting me into heaven, that'd be all about me. That'd be all about me. But there is no way. And until you realize that, until you grasp the concept that there's nothing you offer, there's no footing you come with to stand before a holy God, it's all a gift from Him. It's His grace. He chose from the creation of the world to give us this grace through Jesus Christ. Number five, God's righteousness is possible and available, but it's only through Jesus. There is no other way. I know you've heard me say this before. Yes, that sounds exclusive. Some of you are like, boy, PD, that's pretty narrow. The truth is narrow. 
Remember, remember I told you about the brain surgeon? If you have brain cancer and you go to a brain surgeon, you don't want him to say, hey, you know what? I know there's cancer in there, so we're just going to open it up and I'm going to go in there with a spoon and we're just going to, and we hope we're going to, no, if you, if you got cancer and you've got a surgeon, you want him to say, listen, we went in, we looked, we know exactly where it is by the millimeter centimeter. And what we're going to do is we're going to go in there with these incredible lasers and we're going to just, we're going to just, I'm going to, you're, you're, you'll actually be able to talk and, and not drool afterward. We're going to fix it, right? We're going to take the cancer. That's what you want, right? You want your surgeon to be very narrow. You want him to be very exclusive. You know why? Because truth is always exclusive. It is. I know you live in a world that says, your truth is my truth and my truth is your truth. Everybody's truth. Everybody can have their own truth. Your truth can be in this corner. My truth can be in this corner. We can all get along. Guess what? Truth is by definition and nature narrow. And God makes no apologies by saying only through Jesus. Amen? Only through Jesus. He's the only way. So I, I was pointed out this picture. I, I wish I had a copy of this in my office. What a great picture. There's a painting by Edward Matthew Ward. He painted it in 1868. And it's of Martin Luther discovering justica- justification by faith. You can't see it, obviously. But apparently what Edward Matthew Ward was trying to display was the moment that Martin Luther read Romans 3, verse 21. And his finger is actually pointing at the two words that I told you are vital. He's pointing at the two words, but now. See, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest, and and he had always been taught, the theological training was all ergo. Ergo. Remember, therefore. Everybody say ergo. Everybody say therefore. So uh, he, he'd always been taught theology in the ergo method. So ergo and then ergo A, ergo B, ergo C. It's always therefore. This therefore. And that's all he'd ever heard. But he gets to Romans three twenty one and he reads it and he realizes that's not what God's saying. This two-word phrase, we're almost done, I promise, is so vital, but it's not ergo. Ergo means therefore. A is true, ergo B is true, ergo C. Um, A, I hurt my back. B, I cannot golf. C, I save a lot of money. (laughs) So ergo, hurt your back to save money, right? Do Do you see what I'm saying? This is what Martin Luther had been taught all through theology. Ergo, ergo, ergo. A, there go, uh, for, uh, be, there go, therefore, be, see. And, and it's just always therefore, 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 therefore. Can I just tell you, when we come to what we're talking about here, A, God is holy. B, we are sinners. C, we are saved. How do we get from God is holy and we are not to we are saved? There's a huge gap there. Let me just tell you, ergo won't get you there. There is no composition where you can say God is holy, we are sinners, therefore we are saved. Are you with me? Somebody nod your head. Somebody say yes, PD. There's no way, ergo, gets you to heaven. You can't figure it out. There's nothing that you can therefore to God to get you into heaven. And Martin Luther was reading Romans 3.21 and he said, but now does not mean the same thing as ergo. 
Matter of fact, he was German and he didn't like the Latin ergo. And so he did something different. He looked at it and said, there's no ergo here. Theology, there's no ergo. There's no, I can do so many things. I can do the sacraments or I can do this many things. There's no ergo to get me from God is holy. We are sinners. I am saved. That's when he gave us a new word. And it's a German word, not a Latin word. Danach. Did I say it right, my friends? I called my German friends, Ilsa and Wolfgang. Ilsa and Wolfgang, uh, are, are, they, I always ask them German words. And I'm like, what is the word for but now? And we talked about it and beat it around. And, and then later on, Ilsa called me back. I think I'm still not getting it. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say but now. Not, not anything different, not no therefores, and it's not Latin ergo. I need a German word for but now. And we finally settled on what Martin Luther realized was true in Romans 3.21. It's not ergo, it's Danach. Danach means but. Everybody say but. And it actually has a connotation of afterward. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. When he gets to Romans 3.21, he is saying, but afterward. But afterward what? Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus Jesus is your Danach. Jesus is my Danach. The greatest word in Scripture beyond Jesus is the word but. Everybody say Danach. Now spray it all over the place. Come on, people. Everybody say Danach. Danach. That is the greatest word ever we can be given. Paul made the case we are sinners. Something has to happen, and God says, Danach. But now. What's my conclusion today? God's righteousness is revealed in the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus' death is the propitiation and the atonement of our sinfulness. Everyone who has faith in Jesus will be declared righteous. Danach. Don't you want to say it one more time? Danach. Come on up, Phil. Let's bring the team up. Let's close with this good song that we sang earlier good grace, and it, and it gives all the thoughts that we've been preaching about today. I hope you're encouraged, but as the band come, can I offer you this? If you're here this morning, and you've just been kind of walking around Christianity, like I think I'm in, I'm around it, I'm coming to church, I'm trying to do good, I'm trying to serve, I'm trying to give, all that stuff is wonderful for the saved, but none of it will get you saved. That's all ergo. Ergo, ergo, ergo. That's therefore. I'm saved, therefore I serve. I'm saved, therefore I give. I'm saved, therefore. But therefore will never get you into heaven. Amen? Danak. Danak, danak, danak. But now, it's only through Jesus. It's a gift that God gave. Have you received him? If you've never received him today, while we sing the song about good grace, would you just talk to him and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life as my Savior and Lord. Put your faith in Him and in Him alone. Let's stand and sing.